the month of December, we have been in a series called Make Room. Can you guys say Make Room? And we have just been focusing on clearing out the clutter of the season and just slowing down our hearts and being intentional to make room for Jesus in our lives and to make room for the Christ of Christmas. And, you know, as I began to uh, just think about that, those words make room, I thought about this illustration. So, so how many of you have ever flown on Southwest Airlines? Anybody ever flown on Southwest? Now, now I like to fly on Southwest because they're usually like a little bit um, less expensive than some other airlines. And, and for some reason also, to me, the flight attendants on Southwest, they're just, they're just more cheerful and they're just friendlier. And so, so I like to fly on on Southwest, but but the one thing I don't like about Southwest is you don't have assigned seats, okay? And so I've got to tell you that that can get a little bit crazy sometimes because people will get absolutely vicious about getting their seats. It can feel a little bit like the Hunger Games up in there. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, it is a little crazy. And, and one of the things that I notice that people do, and, and if I'm honest, I probably am one of those people as well, but, but here's the thing, it, it's, is you want to get on a row that's not, completely full, right? Like that's the best way to fly is if you can leave that middle seat open, you know, and you can kind of spread out and put your things there. And so, so here's what people do is they, they rush in to get their seats and they sit down and then they put like their purse and they put their backpack and anything that they have on the seat next to them just to make it look like, you know, this room is full or this, this row is full. And then they kind of like make their shoulders really broad and take up as much room as they can in the seat. So like people will, they know like that, that row is full. And then they avoid eye contact at all costs. Because if they make eye contact with the people that are walking down the aisle, that person might ask to sit in your row. And so you just got to put your AirPods in, you turn your face towards the window and stare. There's nothing out the window to stare at. Like you're still on the tarmac, but you are focused because you just like, you want people to know that you're really, there's no room here, right? There's really no room. And, and I don't blame them. I don't blame them. I probably do the same thing. I mean, no one wants to sit next to Chatty Kathy or Bad Breath Bob. Like no one wants to do that. And so I don't blame them. They're just like, there is no room here. But then in contrast, think about, you know, if you're going somewhere with your friends or, or your family and, and maybe you go into that crowded restaurant and, and, you know, they try to split you up, but you're like, no, 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 we don't want to split up. We want to sit all together. So what do you do? You just, you squeeze into the booth and you make room, right? Or maybe even you bring up a chair and you add an extra chair at the end of the row because you make room. And, and here's the one thing I know today is that we will always make room for the things and the people we love. We will always make room for the things and the people that we love. And so this morning, I just want you to ask yourself this question. Does my life and my schedule reflect my love for Jesus? Does my life and my schedule reflect my love for Jesus? Have I made any room for him? Have you made any room for Jesus? Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just come to you today. God, we thank you 
that your presence is in this place, God. And I just ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear and to receive the message that you have for us today. God, I pray that we would just clear out some space and some clutter for you to come and you to speak and you to move, God. God, I pray that your word would transform us, God. And that we would not leave here carrying the same burdens that we walked in with, God, but that today we would leave light and loved. And Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts and in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our text for the series that we've been in is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and let's turn there together. Um, If you don't have your Bibles, you can also follow along with us on the screen. So again, it's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 today. And it says this, let's read it together. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And today we are going to be focusing on that part that says Everlasting Father. We want to make room for the Everlasting Father. And before I dive in, I just kind of want to clear up any confusion that there might be about this verse and, and specifically this, this name, Everlasting Father. Um, in this scripture, this is not referring to the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. Um, Isaiah has not jumped subjects here. He is still talking about Jesus, the Messiah. But, but what he is speaking about is a characteristic or a quality of Jesus. And, and he's talking about how Jesus is going to treat and relate to his people. And so Isaiah is telling us here how the Messiah is going to act towards us, that he is going to be fatherly towards us. He's going to treat us like a father would his children. It's also important to notice um, that word everlasting here is, is not referring to the eternal nature of the Messiah, although he does have an eternal nature, but rather it's talking about the never ending nature of his care. And so it might help us to grasp this even more today if we thought of it like this, like Isaiah is saying the Messiah, Jesus, is going to come and he is going to be fatherly towards us forever. His father-like care will go on and on forever. How many of you know that that is some good news this morning? That is some great news today. And so so I want us to look at a few attributes of an everlasting father. And and I know that all of us have very different experiences and uh, definitely different perspectives when it comes to fathers. Some of us have been very, very blessed to have incredible, amazing fathers, while others of you may have experienced abusive or absent fathers. But I don't want us to get caught up today in what your earthly father was or wasn't, because today we're talking about the fatherly characteristics of Jesus who treats us not only as a good father would, but as a perfect father would. He's a perfect father. And so the first attribute of the everlasting father that I want us to see today, number one, is that he is our protector. He is our protector. 
You know, there are some certain Native American tribes that, that they have a rite of passage for their teenage boys. And, and at the age of 13, they, they take the boy, um, they blindfold him, and they lead him to a, a really deep in the woods, a certain spot in the forest. And, and he's forced to just sit there with his blindfold while everybody else walks away and goes back to camp. And, and the, the boy is required to sit there all night with his blindfold in place. And he's forced to listen to all the sounds. Can you imagine the sounds in the forest, uh, the leaves crackling, and you're blindfolded. You don't know what it is or who it is, and, and it's scary, and he's forced to sit there until the warmth of the morning sun, and then when he feels the sun on his face, he can remove his blindfold. Here's the thing, though. The first thing that the boy will see when he removes his blindfold is the father, his father, sitting right across from him. The boy's father actually sits with him all through the night, protecting him from the animals and the scary things of the wilderness. But the thing is, is that the boy was blindfolded, so he can't see it. That's a father's protection. That's what Jesus does for us. I don't think we will ever even begin to know on earth how many times we have experienced the Lord's protection and how many times we have thought that we are all alone left to fend for ourselves in the wilderness. And yet Jesus was there all along protecting us from the enemy. In Psalm 139, verse 7, it says, Though I am surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. In Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me. And comfort me. A father's instinct is to protect his kids. You know, I remember last year our daughter, Ellie, was having some issues with a boy at school um, who was bullying her. And, of course, she went to the teachers and the counselors to tell them what was going on. And, thankfully, um, they stepped in and they helped navigate the situation. But that did not keep Sean from going up to the kid the next time we were at the school for an event. Now, don't, don't get crazy. I mean, he didn't say anything out of line or inappropriate. This is all he did. This is all he did before, before anyone's police get called on him. <laughs> this is all he did. He just went up to the boy and he said, my name is Sean and I'm Eliana's dad. That's it. He didn't have to say anything else. The kid got the message. In Sean's eyes, he was saying, I'm watching you. Don't mess with my kid, right? And that's what Jesus does for us. He goes before us, and he is protective over us, and he tells the enemy, don't mess with my kids. Our everlasting father is our protector, The next attribute I want us to see about our everlasting father is that he is our provider. He is our provider. You know, a father delights in providing for his children. It is his pleasure. In Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read verses 9 through 11. It says this. 
You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's read another verse in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. It says this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. You see, one of the synonyms for good father is provider. As a good father, the Lord provides for us. One of my favorite verses, Philippians 4, 19 says, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ. You know, last week we talked about um, Jesus being a mighty God. And, and because he is mighty, that means that he is able to fulfill all of his promises. He is able to meet our needs. But today, knowing Jesus not only as a mighty God, but as our everlasting father, shows us that not only is he able to meet our needs, but he is willing He's not just able, he's willing. He actually wants to meet your needs. You know, I can remember on more than one occasion when Sean and I were in our early years of marriage and ministry, and, you know, we definitely just did not make a lot of money. And a lot of those years, we were just barely getting by. And if anything major happened, if there was an emergency that came up, we just did not have the money to cover it. And, and it wasn't because of poor money management. There just wasn't any money to manage. Anybody been there, right? Like, I'm sure you can all relate to what I'm saying. And I can remember a time when our car broke down and, and it was actually going to cost more to fix the car than the car was worth. And so we didn't have the money to fix it. And we definitely did not have the money, um, to get a a different car or a new car. And, and, um, so my dad came to us and he gave us a car And I mean, it was just the most incredible blessing. It was something that we knew there was no way we were going to be able to work it out. And yet here comes my dad. And and the crazy thing is, is I remember looking at him and I remember seeing the pure joy and the love in his eyes as he was able to provide for us something that he knew we couldn't do on our own. You could see how happy it made him. And I think that that's the way that Jesus sees us. Like a father who gets to provide for his kids when he knows that there is no way that they could do it on their own. You know, it's not just cars and tangible needs that he provides, although he does that as well. But he provides for us in so many ways. He, he provides words for tough conversations. And he provides guidance for difficult decisions. 
And he provides comfort in times of heartbreak. And, and he provides opportunities for us to make a difference and to live out our purpose. And, and he provides healing for us mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And he provides relationships for us to offer support and to help us grow. And he provides strength when we feel like we just cannot go on. Our everlasting father provides everything we need. Now notice here I said everything we need. He doesn't provide our every greed. Amen? And sometimes what we think we need is really not it. And sometimes when we think we need it is really not it. And so as a loving father, he redirects and he sends us what we really need in sometimes unexpected ways. And at his right and perfect time, he always, always provides The next attribute I want us to see about our everlasting father is he is our preparer. Everybody say preparer. I had to look that up and make sure it was a real word. And it is. And so I'm not making up any words like Pastor Sean likes to do. That is a real word. Um, It's just one that we don't use very often. But he is our preparer. You know, a good father prepares his kids to be successful. You know, good fathers, they don't just send their kids out in the world to just figure it out on their own. But, But how does a father prepare us? How does our everlasting father prepare us? Well, he prepares us through discipline. By providing boundaries for us. You know, good parents know how and when to say no. And and they don't just give in to every whim and every desire that their child has. and, And they don't just bail them out of every situation without facing consequences. You know, it might seem harsh or mean to the child at the time, but, but a good father sees the bigger picture and knows that they're not being mean, but they're actually just disciplining. They're actually preparing their children to grow and mature. And in the end, their kids are going to be much better off because of it. Well, it's the same with our everlasting father. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it says this, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. You know, discipline is often talked about um, with just such a negative connotation, right? It, it, It has this like kind of bad taste in our mouth, like discipline. But discipline is actually just preparation, Discipline is preparation. It is a good thing. You see, Jesus cares enough about us that he wants to get involved in leading and directing our lives. He is interested in developing our character. You know, there are often times in life when we walk through situations and and we just don't understand and, and we aren't always aware that these situations are meant to prepare us for what's to come. I can remember um, in high school, I played a lot of sports, volleyball, basketball, a little bit of softball. And, and, and I can remember in the very beginning of the season, our coaches would schedule us to play teams that were just way out of our league. Like they were bigger schools than we were and they had stronger programs than we had. And just overall, they had more skill. 
And honestly, it wasn't always fun to play these teams. Like, I mean, there were a lot of times where we got the beat down. But something would happen week after week as we began to play these tough teams. We began to level up. And we began to grow and we began to start being able to compete with them. And then by the time it was actually time for us to start playing people in our own league and in our own district, man, we were prepared. By by that time, we could walk on the court with confidence in our ability to win the game because we had played much tougher teams and we had had grown in our skill and we were ready. Well, some of you have been walking through some tough stuff. And you feel like you've been getting the beat down. But think of it this way. Just what if all of this is just preparation? What if you're just getting in your reps so that when the time for, when it comes time for God to open the doors for what he really has in store for you, you are ready You see, our everlasting father wants what's best for us. And that's why he wants to make sure we are prepared. Our everlasting father, that's what we're talking about this morning. He is our protector. He is our provider. He is our preparer. And number four, he is patient. Our everlasting father is patient. Now, remember, we're not talking about earthly fathers today. They're all human and they struggle to find patience, but we're talking about a perfect father. We see in scripture time and time again, the patience of the Lord towards his children. We see it in the garden when he's dealing with Adam and Eve. You know what? He could have just killed them right there on the spot, right? We see the patience he has with the leaders and the people of Israel as they continually grumbled and complained and tried to do things their own way. And we can see it in the Gospels as Jesus is rejected and he is forsaken and yet he still chooses to go to the cross for their sins. You know, I can see it every day, his patience in my own life. As I stumble and I fall and I grumble and I complain and I try to take control and I try to do things my own way. And yet the everlasting father, his patience never wavers. It is steadfast towards me. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 15 and 16, Paul is writing and he tells Timothy, he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You know, here Paul is telling us, he's letting us know that if Jesus was patient with him, a murderer, a person who persecuted and killed Christians, that Paul actually calls himself the chief of sinners. And, and if Jesus was patient with him, then no one should ever think that they have out the patience of our everlasting father. Because he is not only patient, but he is perfectly patient. His patience is perfect. 
You know, I can't talk about the patience of the father without thinking about the story of the prodigal son. And I'm sure so many of you in this room probably know the story, but I think it will be a good reminder for us to read it together this morning to see the patience of a father. So if you want to read with me, I'm going to go to Luke chapter 15. And I'm just going to be reading verses 11 through 24 this morning. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man had become so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. That is what our patient, everlasting father does for us. He waits for us. He looks for us longingly. And the moment he sees us make one small, tiny move towards him, he comes running. He is our patient, everlasting father. The last attribute of the everlasting father I want us to see this morning is that he is present. He is present. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the angel appears to Joseph and and tells him, he says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's the thing. Emmanuel means so much more than just Jesus is coming. It also means Jesus is staying. Jesus is staying. He is present. He is with us. He has always been with us and he will always be with us. He's in our good times and he's in our hard times. He's in pain and doubt and and fear. He is there. And he's with us in our temptations. And and he celebrates with us in our joy and our successes. And then he mourns with us in our loss. Joshua 1 
Verse nine says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He is always with us. Isn't there so much just peace in knowing that? Doesn't that bring confidence to your heart that we are not alone? Jesus, our savior is walking with us and he is standing beside us. He is with us. I heard a story of a young boy who had lost his father and he was now an orphan. He was sent to live with a family and and it was around the holiday time and, and the woman of the house was helping him unpack his things and get settled in when she noticed him take out a framed picture of his dad and and put it on his nightstand. The woman was trying to make the boy feel welcome, so she asked him, what would you like for Christmas? The boy looked up at her with tears in his eyes and he said, I want my dad to step out of that brain. I know that that's a heartbreaking story this morning, but that really is the longing of every heart. We all have a desire for an everlasting father that is present with us. And the good news is that over 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He stepped out of the frame. He stepped down from heaven and he put on flesh so that he could show us what God looks like and so that we would never have to be alone, so that he could be Emmanuel, God with us. He's not a God that's far off in the distance, in the clouds somewhere. He's here. He's here in this room right now. And he longs for you to experience his presence. So today we're talking about making room in our lives for the everlasting father, the the father who protects us, who provides for us and prepares us and, and is patient towards us and the father who is present with us. If everyone could just bow their heads and close your eyes this morning. I don't know that there might be someone here today that you have never experienced all the things that the everlasting father brings because you have not made Jesus the Lord and savior of your life. And so if that is you, today is your day. I don't think that it's an accident that you are here, but I believe that God has brought you here so that you can leave this place knowing Jesus as your savior. And you can leave here today having experienced the love of an everlasting father. So I'm just going to take a moment. If there is anyone here who would like to make that decision today, you need to surrender your life and ask Jesus to be your Lord. If that is you, if you'll just slip up your hand and let me recognize it today. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I just wanna pray with you today. Is there anyone here today that wants to make Jesus the Lord of their life? I'm only gonna wait a moment. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Can we pray with this one so that she's not singled out this morning? We're gonna just pray a prayer 
We call it the salvation prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's basically just you expressing outwardly what has already taken place inwardly in your heart that you have decided to put your faith in Jesus, that you want him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. So can we just all pray this prayer together? Repeat after me, dear Jesus, I thank you that you are an everlasting father. Today I declare that I believe in you and I put my faith in you and what you did for me on the cross. So please forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my heart and make me new. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we want to walk with you on your journey um, in following Christ. So when Pastor Bruce comes up at the end, he will give you some instructions for how you can take your next steps.